Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Tech Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, many, many ways of getting our show, and no matter how you got us today. You can also download us directly from our website at techcentral.ie, use a smartphone podcast app, iTunes, or turn us on every Friday on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Later on the show, we're going to be talking drones, one of our favourite subjects. But first, Niall Kitson, Editor-in-Chief of Tech Central, joins me uh, with what's happening in the world uh, these days. And one part of the world... I definitely am sure as hell glad I'm not living in is the United States of America. Mr. Trump has done something quite amazing. Uh, Actually, this is something we can't blame on Donald Trump. Easily as it is to do these days, you can just paw off blame onto him for pretty much everything. Okay, well, pretty much the headline was Donald Trump signed or reversed or whatever. So come on, give me the truth. Yeah, well, this was passed through Congress by Republicans. Uh, It went through the Senate by 50 votes to 48 in a a partisan vote, uh, completely partisan, and it went through the House uh, 215 votes to 205 with 15 Republicans breaking ranks against it, signed into law. Basically, the repeal of measures that were brought in during the Obama era, protecting users from having... ISPs sell their personal data, to sell their browsing histories for advertising purposes. So, so it just shows I'm 100% on this. They've reversed it, which means it is now possible for your internet service provider to take your search history, to take your web history, every website you visited, and then sell that to a third party so they, they can direct advertising at you or other things. That's basically the the size of it. Yeah. And what's interesting about this story is that this isn't a a move that was lobbied for by anyone, but for ISPs. I mean, there's a very interesting poll brought out by YouGov uh, and the Huffington Post uh, during the week, and they found that um, 72% of Republicans polled, so not not representatives, but people that identified as Republicans, and 72% of Democrats said they, they had no interest in these measures in the first place. Like the public was not asking for these uh, privacy measures to be repealed at all. And I believe Uh, a lot of the ISPs have said, well, we didn't sell the data before this law came in. We didn't sell it while it was in. And we're sure as hell not going to sell it now that it's been repealed. So who wants this? Who wants this change? Uh, well, I mean, you know, absolutely is the ISPs that want this. And if they don't want to do it today, they certainly want the option of having to do it down the road. I mean, if you look at such the contrast between the American perspective and the European perspective. I mean, from uh, the middle of May, when the general data protection regulation comes in, if an ISP was to say, we want to uh, sell your browsing history, Europe would would say, uh, no, and if you do, we'll take 4% of your global turnover. Thank you very much. Mm. (laughs) I mean, that is, is, you know... uh, a sufficiently um, powerful dissuasive measure, I think, as any. But this is the American way, you know. You take something and you commodify it and you make it openly tradable. I mean, they, they've even managed to do that with their healthcare system, you know, and pay for what you need, except, you know, it becomes incredibly expensive. Do you know what? I kind of, <laughs> like, there's a lot of things that I disagree with. This I don't even understand. <laughs> It defies 
logic to take that private personal information and to sell it. Yeah. And, you know, the worst thing is um, if you were to try that measure over here, right, um, where we'll, we'll take Dublin as an example, because we're most familiar with that as a, as a market. OK. And Virgin decides, OK, we're going to start selling your browser data. You can go, that's fine. I'm going to nip over to air. That's it. You lose your customer base. Um, now, I know in a lot of many parts of Ireland, you don't have the option to do that trick. Similarly, in many parts of America, you don't have the option that there isn't a competitive enough market to keep things in check. Uh, and maybe this is this is what's going to happen, that um, various uh, that the Internet service providers will go, oh, by the way, we look after your data. That becomes a selling point for us. Mm, yeah, but but something something else that's coming out of this is the increased use of Tor, which is uh, the Onion Router, which is a, a, a traffic anonymization service. Um, the increased use of virtual private networks, again, so you, you can't be tracked. And uh, downloads of the Opera browser, which comes with a VPN built in. So I think we'll, if this comes through, we'll start to see these sort of features, privacy by design, privacy by default, uh, VPN activated by default, become real, really good points of differentiation. So say if Google said, okay, we want to extend our leadership in the browser market, all of a sudden privacy by default, VPN by default in Chrome, wash their downloads, you know, go through the roof, even though Chrome probably isn't the best example seeing as Google has a, a, a big interest in ad tech. So I think Opera is probably a, a good way to go. Do I mean, if some somebody were to say, you know, here's a browser, it'll cost mm, five euro to download forever, you know, and it will protect your privacy forever. I, I, I can't believe you spent the last two minutes essentially defending this move. I, I'm going to call you Donald Trump from now. That's going to be it. <laughs> well, I'm just saying that the market might have a corrective measure. OK, we'll take, we'll, we'll take that on board. Uh, the other big story this week is uh, Apple. I think of Apple, I think Apple Pie. And then I think uh, I think a Humble Pie, because Apple made a very startling uh, ad- ad- admission this week. That's a pretty good segue, Dusty, I have to say. That's, you know, in, in a world of segues, that's that's up there. Yeah, I, I think it's not so much a humble pie. It's more like cheesecake is what my, <laughs> is what my segue was. <laughs> Tell me about Apple. What have they admitted to? Yeah, well, this is to do with your favorite Apple product that you don't own. Because since it was revealed in 2013, you have coveted the Mac Pro like nobody else's business. Absolutely. I, I would love one. You saw it and you were like, yep, I am I am a content creator. I'm a media professional. I do audio editing. I do video editing. This is the machine for me. Um, Apple uh, kind of sat on it for the last few years. You know, the, it, it wasn't really promoted. There weren't any regular upgrades in the same way that the iMac and the, the MacBook and the MacBook Pro were being refreshed. Um uh, even the MacBook Air, you know. Mm. They, um, they've been kind of quiet about it, but they've been quiet about it for a reason. Why? Apparently so, yes. Um, Apple came out during the week and said, yeah, we're giving the Mac Pro a modest upgrade now. Um, we're improving the GPU on it. But we, we kind of designed ourselves into a corner on this. We jammed so much in that we actually had issues with overheating. Not, you know, overheating kablamo. But <laughs> not, not in a Samsung kind of a way. 
Not uh, well. You're saying that, not me. But um, yeah, um, problems with circulation, problems with overheating. So we have a semi refresh, I suppose. But you know, no USB three, no Thunderbolt three. This is very much a holding pattern, and I think that's so unfortunate because when it came out, we both saw it and we went, "That's that's a game changer." That's you know, because we remember the last Mac Pro, um, and it was giant. You know, it, it was a big hefty piece of machinery and then this thing comes out and it completely changed the game in terms of design and um, I remember Phil Schiller being on stage and he said can't innovate anymore my ass <laughs> and, <laughs> and I everybody agreed at the time um, but no it has it has languished over the last few years while other devices have have arguably sped ahead now I would say that the the MacBook Pro not quite in a similar state of um, disrepair, but its current version is very underwhelming um, for my money. I'm not parting with over two thousand euro for uh, for that kind mm. of underpowered laptop. They, yes, they seem to be making them worse. I mean, they're taking out the SD card reader. They've gone with all these. I mean, the solid state uh, solid state drives are fantastic, uh, but they don't hold as much information. It's like all of a sudden, I used to have a terabyte of uh, of data on my MacBook Pro, and now it's like, oh, you've got two hundred fifty six gigs. Yeah, well, you kind of expect that with SSDs now. I mean, I know we're we're ramping up, but I mean, when you want to keep your unit price down, the cost of S, you know, your SSD capacity is going to stay low as well. That's on, it's unfortunate, but I guess people just assume that you, you're connected to an external hard drive these days. Anyway, maybe even two if you use a separate one for a, for a backup. Yeah, if you had enough ports. <laughs> if you had enough ports. I mean, <laughs> this is really part of the con as well, isn't it? Exactly. Like they, they make some brilliant stuff. But that's that's something that I've noticed with Apple is they seem to be downgrading their professional stuff because Apple was known for, for years in the media industry as being that is what you use. They are the best of the best, really good hardware, really good software. And now they're taking that and they're dumbing it all down to make it more consumer-like because they sell more to consumers. Yeah, and, we and the we pro community... We don't get the same trickle-down trickle effect mm. anymore. You know, they... We haven't had the premium Apple product trickle, 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 now the consumer version. Mm. For the last few years, it's been here are the consumer devices, off to one side, there's the pro device. There doesn't seem to be any connect between the two. No, no. Well, do you know what? The, the one good thing is, uh, you know, I wouldn't say that it's good news that Apple went, oh, do you know what? We made a couple of design flaws, but we're, we're going to upgrade the Mac Pro uh, sometime next year with, um, we don't know what we're going to do with it, but it's an upgrade coming next year, maybe, or maybe 2019. Um, yeah, maybe. So, you know, there you go. But uh, it's nice to see them eat some humble pie. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Okay, let's get on with our interview for this week. Drones is something that we love talking about, um, even though there was a story in the news today saying that uh, more and more of the public are getting very annoyed with them and starting to make complaints about people flying drones over their uh, back gardens when they're sunbathing nude. <laughs> I wonder why they do that. Uh, however, uh, Niall went out during the week and spoke to a man about the drone industry and where it's at and where it's going. Uh, he's very highly involved in it and knows everything. Hey, you can listen to Steve Flynn from Sky Tango. I'm talking with Steve Flynn, who is the co-founder of Sky Tango, a company that um, deals with drones, but I guess, you know, that, that's far too simplistic a way <laughs> to describe it. So let's just dive right in. And, and first of all, you know, Stephen is a, a total professional and my first Emmy winner uh, in terms of interviewing. So, Steve, I, I, 
I'm reticent to say let's start at the beginning with drones because even though yeah. it's quite a, a nascent market, it already uncovers uh, in cases so much from you know the little 50 euro model that you're getting in a gadget shop all the way up to some of the really high-end stuff that you're using. So I guess just give us a, a quick overview of, of where we are, putting the toys to one side, if you will. Mm, yeah, the interesting thing is that most people don't uh, make the connection between drones and phones. And what really started the revolution in drones was cell phone, uh, the smartphone and the accelerometers and the compasses and the small miniaturization and the, and the solid state uh, advancements that they came up with 10, 12 years ago with the smartphone. And all of that fed right into these drone platforms. And that's why they're so inexpensive and so capable now. So that's sort of where they started. And, you know, uh, my, my, my spouse and, and co-founder Susan, she and I started uh, an aerial filming company here in Ireland about four years ago. We, I think it was, we were the third company registered with the IAA. So in four years, we're kind of considered veterans of, of the drone industry, which is, which is hilarious to me. Um, and the, 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 the speed of development in four years has been phenomenal, um, and, uh, which is also a little bit, uh, it can be a little bit, uh, what's the word, uh, uh, it, it can make you complacent because people can now buy a drone, pull it out of the box, turn it on, push the sticks up, and it starts flying. And in five or ten minutes, they think they, they, can, they can control them. Which is true to a point, um, but if but what they're doing is they're interfacing with it. They're not really in command of it because it's flying itself, and the, the issue comes in if there's any kind of a failure. And they do fail. You know, there's there's a lot of single point failures on these systems. And so, if suddenly the drone is out flying and it goes into manual mode and you're not able to like understand how to fly it, it's going to come down. Um, and so that it, it, the, the drones are an interesting space in that they're 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 flown in a community you know you, yes you can fly some of them in your living room but for the most part people are out in the community flying them so there's a real community impact um and that's really where sky tango came you know uh, to it, the vision for our company came because we saw how these machines really impact the pilots their customers and then the people they fly over and I guess the fact that it is such a nascent industry means that people, you know, as you sort of alluded to, people are still getting to grips with the, the, the reality of the technology, really, that it's not as simple as having a, a return point and, and that's kind of it, that you know, these things are idiot-proof, that they do uh, exist in a community. Um, so tell us, I guess, what kind of differentiate you guys from potentially the rest of the market, which would be looking at things like surveying and project management, that sort of thing, is that you adopt sort of, you lean towards kind of having a storytelling capacity uh, in your company. So let's talk a little bit about that. How, where does the drone begin as a, a storytelling instrument? Well, really, um, we our company is built to support people who are flying them. So whether they're flying them for video and film or they're doing survey work, uh, what, what we're doing is giving them a tool to add value to their operations. Um, and so in that way, it, it, it helps support the people who are telling the stories is really sort of where we're coming from. Um, and, and so what we do is we take uh, the... the be, be, because we, we have... Uh, portals for the landowners, for their customers, and for the drone operators, we can actually look at the drone flight and look at the entire process and take 
the content from the drone and marry it with the flight records. So we look at the pilot's licensing information at the time, the insurance at, the, at that moment, where they flew, where they had permission to fly, and we can flag the material that isn't legal. So if a drone operator exceeds their limits, the customer knows that the material that they're now going to be given from that point on is technically illegal. And what's going to start to happen is um, the, the buyers and the users of aerial content will start becoming the focus of audits and compliance uh, reports from you know, legislators and, and government bodies because you can't legislate these uh, you know, drone operators who don't care. You know, every, every year there's going to be another 12-year-old or a 15-year-old that gets a new drone and goes out and starts flying and doesn't have any idea what the rules are. So Skytango is sort of in that space where we're not, um, we're not actually telling stories so much as we are helping the people who are trying to do that. Uh, and we do regularly see uh, examples of people either not knowing the rules or willfully disregarding them or assuming they can get away with it. I mean, I think Air was on the receiving end of a uh, a bit of a ticking off not too long ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was uh, one of the first ones in Ireland where uh, the drone operators and the and the, the production company really legally did nothing wrong. They, f- they, you know, they flew out over Skellig, but the OPW didn't really want them there because it was nesting season. But they had no legal authority to say they couldn't because the drone operators did everything legally. So there's a tension point there, right, where the OPW didn't want them there because of nesting season. Um, but it, it happened anyway, and it made the papers and, and the rest. And I think the nuance that's important for people to think about is that everyone talks about unlicensed flyers and, you know, the rogue pilot who doesn't care and goes off and does whatever. You know, there's always going to be that. But more importantly, there's, there's a nuance of a licensed flyer can also fly illegally, so we're not much, it's not just about the unlicensed operator. We're really focused on legal operations. And what I mean by that is, you know, I've been on many jobs where we arrive and the, the customer asks us to put the drone up and we go to our limit at 400 feet and they say, oh, we really need to see more and we need to be higher for whatever reason. And you're out in the middle of nowhere. What do you do? Do you say no, land the drone and go home? and then not get paid for the two days of work you did prepping and then driving out to this location and have an unhappy customer? Or do you go to 600 feet, break your licensed insured envelope and give them the product hoping it's all fine? That's just as much as a problem to the industry as it is as an unlicensed flyer is. Because what happens is, is I just took work away from the, from the company down the road that has a different drone that's licensed to go to 600 or 800 feet and I just cut their rate because I was able to do it for less. So that's just a different example of the same problem where a regular licensed flyer is competing with an unlicensed operator who doesn't care and goes anywhere and charges half the price. So because it's a new industry, it's still finding its feet with regard to how it's done and, 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 and how it's going to survive. And that's what Sky Tango was built to solve. And Ireland is actually a really interesting case in point because... As a country, we really are at the forefront of drone licensing. Oh, yeah, no, then the, the funny thing, I, sometimes I do presentations and I, I, I like to put up a photograph of, you know, the trees out, out, out in Galway that are, that are growing sideways because the wind is blowing so hard. Um, it, not only was Ireland one of the first countries in the world to have licensed commercial operations, the weather here is atrocious. And so the guys who fly in the rain and in the high wind are some of the best pilots in the world, I think. Um, and so it's, it's a really challenging sandbox to play in because you really have all this stuff thrown at you in a brand new industry where people are still trying to find their feet. 
and that level of skill I think is something that is lost on a lot of people I mean I know, I know there are drone flying schools out there but there's an awful lot, a lot of crossover between um, sort of military aviators and, and regular commercial aviators and the drone industry yeah I mean I, I think the, the one thing you have to appreciate about the licensed operators in this country is they're 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 bleeding edge risk takers right and you have to you know if, if you're going to lift the, the drone up on the table behind us here is a you know worth fully loaded one hundred and thirty thousand dollars it flies just like the 40 euro toy you bought your kid essentially and yet the big difference is you have to have nerves of steel to put that thing up in the sky in a 20 knot wind out over the sea and hope you know not hope that there's no failures i mean there are some redundancies but it takes it, it takes a lot of training and a lot of confidence to be able to do that yeah uh, so let's look at sort of the evolution of how how people are seeing drones so one of the things that i think was really impressive uh, intel started using um drones as swarms so we're starting to see interconnected drones putting up you know patterns be it corporate logos or anything like that is this the sort of thing that, that gets you excited as an operator? Yeah, I mean, I, I, not even so much as an operator, as somebody who's just looking at ways to take the industry and to do, do different things. And when you see a swarm of drones, the, the video online is 500 drones launching with lights on them. It's like watching fireworks in reverse. I've never seen it before, and it's it's awe-inspiring. Um, you know, these little drones that fly up, and they, they're aware of each other's position. They can maneuver and create formations and fly in formation and coordinate movements, and it's, it's really something to look at. Um, and then you look at that, and you think, you know, the next step is, you know, crop management with a swarm of drones that can zip out over your field and, you know, we find the, the, the weeds or the pests and spray them very, very accurately and do it in a few minutes, you know, and not impact the ground at all. Um, or search and rescue, where you know where you might launch 10 of them and they all go out and search an area and then tell the other drones that they've looked at this area and now they can move on to another one. Like it really is phenomenal, uh, you know, where, where the swarm technology is going. And I think that level of coordination, the fact that it can be managed basically on a, on a single laptop. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One person can run it all if you can change batteries fast enough. <laughs> so um, another sort of... Um change in how we're seeing drones used um, particularly we're starting to see it in marketing and I'm sure we'll start seeing it in, in live action film as well um, is the idea of the drone as a character mm. um, so uh, how are marketers uh, embracing this idea I mean I've seen some um, some films out there and I think you raised the uh, point earlier that it is like watching Wally or something like that yeah you have to be a bit careful with it because I think you know it's already gotten to a point where it's a bit stale you know kind of just trying to make a drone look cute but what you can do with them is you can put them inside other shapes and do other things with them so you can go on you can go online I remember a few years ago somebody had created a, a witch or it was a ghost or I think it was a witch on a broomstick and built it around their drone and this thing flew down the road and it you, it was terrifying people you know <laughs> and you couldn't tell that there was a drone inside it it looked like a witch on a broomstick um, and so you know it's you kind of 
your imagination is really your only limit. Mm. I think I think novelty will always play a role in any kind of emerging technology, just to get it over with people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, so I guess one of the um, applications that people are going to see. Um, you know, regular consumers are going to see very uh, in the very near future because we're seeing trials already. Is the likes of Amazon and Domino's embracing drone deliveries? How realistic do you think this is as a uh, as a general strategy, or do you think there's a, a sizable element of a PR stunt to it? Oh, good lord! You know, my uh, you asked me that question, and uh, you know, I'm not a prognosticator by any stretch. To to me, it all looks like a PR stunt. I, I mean, I could be dead wrong. You could have pizzas being delivered. Uh, I mean, if, if they've done studies where the energy um, spent delivering a pizza by drone is much less than it is putting it on the back of a motorbike or a car and having it driven to your house. So, you know, there's a big energy savings there, and probably it's it's also much quicker. I think the the issue comes into to play when you start thinking about drones descending next to your house or in your neighbor's house or out in front. Um, how do you keep people from throwing rocks at them you know and i've had it happen you know i've been on a set where gang of kids walked up and saw a fifty thousand dollar drone hovering 15 feet off the ground and they picked up rocks and started to try and knock it out of the air so how do you like you how does amazon deal with that it seems a little far-fetched for me I, I, th- I think that maybe out in the country, you know, where you've got more open space, it's much more likely. I, I think when you're in a city, I, I, it seems a little more PR-ish to me. And uh, another sort of um, what's regarded as an urban myth, but you're telling me it's really not, is the idea of the, the drone as threat to, to aviators. I know Casualty did their 30th anniversary and they had this massive elaborate set piece yeah. with a crashing helicopter. Uh, and the punchline is that it's a, it's a little 12-year-old kid manning his drone. And a lot of drone enthusiasts would say, no, it's not possible. These drones are too small. They're not powerful enough. Or, you know, if, if anything like that happens, there are collision detectors. We're not quite there yet, though. No, I, I, I think I would disagree vehemently with that. You can go online and, and uh, if you search uh, drone hits 737 Africa, I think it may have been Somalia, Sudan. I don't remember which country it was. It hit the nose of the aircraft and it, and it put a huge hole in it. It caused tremendous damage when it was landing. And I've, I've spoken to Air Corps members who have flown, you know, uh, been flying at night and flown by drones at 5,000 feet and nearly took them out of the sky you know they went right by the window and some of these you know the, you know the teeny little ones aren't going to do that right the small ones but the mid-sized ones like the Inspire maybe the Phantom if you hit that going 200 miles an hour and it hit your window I wouldn't want to be on that helicopter I wouldn't want like they are they are a danger um, and certainly the bigger ones and people who fly them uh, honestly I, I think the people who fly them irresponsibly they should have them taken away. That's, that's my own take. And they're not cheap either, so you're, you're into the more money than Sense Brigade. Yeah, and it's strange because there are some, there are some uh, drone operators here in Ireland that end up, that willingly flaunt the law. They're out there doing videos and putting them on YouTube, getting press coverage, getting radio interviews. They're out there, and they, they shouldn't be. You know, They should have a license, and they should be insured, and they're not, and the community knows it. Um, and it's maddening. And, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm, Ireland is an interesting case because you can be unlicensed in the country and still operate commercially. Most people don't know that. You know, you can fly your drone to 50 feet if you're unlicensed almost anywhere in the country, not everywhere. 
And if you're out in the country in outside of class, class C airspace, you can go up to 400 feet and be unlicensed. But why would you do that and be uninsured, right? And you can't really be insured unless you have a license. And it's not, the hurdle's not that big. And what we're trying to fix is to give more value to people who do this as a hobby and as a business, and they do it with the idea of respect for the landowners and respect for their customers, respect for the communities they're in. And we can watch their behavior with their drones and their checklists and give them that certificate for the product that comes off their drone. Um, because it's maddening to watch people flying over the spire, putting it on YouTube, getting 500,000 hits and being on some of the social media and the radio stations who are like, oh, we have, saw this great video. We're going to interview you and give you publicity. It's really, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to take. And I guess insurance really could become... Um a regulating influence in and of itself especially when people do go out and they spend big money on an expensive drone and it kind of puts you know if somebody is flying illegally over somebody's land and the landowner is already aware of it I mean that that puts liability on them as well doesn't it oh absolutely yeah and the, the landowners when I say landowners I mean the OPW National Heritage Dublin County Council Fingal like they're all trying to put their arms around a, some kind of a drone policy and it's really hard to imagine how to do that and we've been in discussions with them the last few months. With Hopefully we'll have some announcements on some partnering and some beta testing we'll be doing with them because we can help, in, help them engage with people flying drones over their, air, over their land. It's not about the airspace because the IAA has that nailed down. It's more about landowner advisories and giving them a sense of what's going on in their, you know, w- w- within the areas that they, that they manage. And that was Niall Kitson talking to Steve Flynn from Sky Tango. Now, just before we go, Niall's still with us. What's our one more thing, Niall? The one story online on the website we couldn't squeeze into the show. Yeah, well, you might remember uh, last year we interviewed Mike Ferrick from Allison, and uh, the website has passed a very impressive milestone. Wow. You can find out all about that story and, of course, all the other Irish tech news with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more from techcentral.ie, as well, of course, as our weekly tech radio show online and every Friday at 6 on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next week, from myself, Dusty, and from Niall, thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by DigitalAudioProductions.com. Tech Central.